Today, House Republicans were supposed to vote on the new health care bill, the American Health Care Act, but it didn't happen. A Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, scheduled a press conference for 11.30, then it was delayed to 3.30, and then it was canceled. But in all of that time, a lot of deals were struck with the White House between some of the conservative members of the Republican Party in the Freedom Caucus and President Donald Trump. Uh, And one of those deals was to get rid of 10 essential Obamacare benefits. What were those benefits uh, that uh, the Freedom Caucus went after today? Well, I I don't have the full list here, but it included the things like mental health care, dental care, and maternity benefits. Uh, They're seeking to allow insurance companies to offer very slimmed-down policies that will appeal to a very narrow sector of healthier people, uh, enabling them to get relatively inexpensive policies, but really leaving everybody else out in the cold. And uh, uh, fortunately, uh, that deal hasn't uh, quite brought the Freedom Caucus on board yet, uh, but uh, but the fact that there isn't a deal puts us at, at the mercy of the Freedom Caucus, which is a scary place to be. And that's exactly it. There's a lot of, there's kind of a strange situation right now where you have liberal folks sort of rooting for the Freedom Caucus to stop a bill that they don't like. However, the Freedom Caucus is cutting more from Obamacare versus folks, liberal folks and Democrats might want to cut less. Is there a fear that if they're going after these 10 benefits that they're going to just keep asking for more and more until we get a bill that is very, very, very bare bones in terms of uh, the health care benefits that uh, came with Obamacare? Yeah, that's exactly the fear. I mean, they the, the bill that was unveiled by Speaker Ryan a couple of weeks ago would have been truly catastrophic. And since then, the changes have generally made it worse. There have been a couple positive changes, but on balance, the different things that they've offered to try to get the Freedom Caucus on board have, have made it quite a bit worse. And uh, and it's likely to continue heading in that direction. Now, the counterbalance is that there are a, a small number of moderate Republicans, in addition to all the Democrats, who uh, have problems with what they're doing. And regardless of the changes that they make at this point, I don't think any Democrats are going to vote for it. But but uh, some moderate Republicans have balked at it and uh, realized that it would be terribly harmful for people in rural parts of, of their districts, for seniors in, in their districts who are nearing retirement age uh, because of all the changes related to the structure of the, the tax credits. Um, so, so they're trying to find a sweet spot where they can uh, get the Freedom Caucus on board without uh, losing any more moderates. And, uh, and that's a really tough balance to strike. Plus, once you get it through the House, uh, the, the Senate isn't quite as rapidly conservative. And uh, so the, there's a question of how they can possibly get something through the Senate. And that's not at all clear to me. 
Now, before all these changes came this week, the Congressional Budget Office put out a report saying that 24 million people would lose their health insurance under this new uh, Republican health care bill. And again, that was before the changes that were introduced this week. One of those changes was very drastic, uh, according to experts. It has to do with the way Medicaid is funded, um, and it's called a block grant. Now, the original health care law was, or excuse me, the original health care bill was already going to significantly change the way Medicaid was funded uh, for the states. But what is exactly does this block grant funding do? How is it even more bare bones than before? It would give states a kind of a some certain appropriation each year, uh, in contrast to now, where as the number of people who need Medicaid grows, and if the state is willing to kick in more money to, to deal with that additional need, then the federal government will match that money. And it's a, it's a partnership where the federal funding will grow uh, as the state sees fit to increase its share. And, uh, and as costs grow, if the state decides that it wants to invest more money into Medicaid services that help address the opioid epidemic, uh, we have a partnership with the federal government that will kick in more. But under a block grant, you would get a certain amount each year, and, uh, and you'd have to live within that, which would be especially uh, a bad idea during an economic downturn. But uh, but they've structured it in a way that it would really encourage states to go that route because they would allow the state to essentially pocket savings that they're able to come up with, um, and not. I mean, they already states already have incentives to try to reduce how much they spend, but when you do that, um, you're going to lose federal match as you cut your state spending. They've they've restructured it in a way that there's a much more powerful incentive for states to cut spending and, and actually get a higher amount of federal matching funds by doing so. So um, for, for that reason, and just because of how the block grants will, will be set, uh, the Medicaid changes are projected to cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, now, there are a number of different Medicaid changes. In total, they were expected to cost $880 billion over the next uh, 10 years in terms of reduced support for Medicaid. Um, I'm not sure how the block grant proposal changes that yet. I haven't seen the Congressional Budget Office analysis of that yet. One thing the Congressional Budget Office said is that based off the Medicaid changes alone, 14 million people would lose their health care just off of that before any rise in premiums or anything like that. One thing that Republicans keep talking about when it comes to the uh, the block grants is flexibility, that states will have more flexibility over their Medicaid. But what you're saying right now is that if a state has a recession or an epidemic like opioids or something like that, that they wouldn't have the flexibility to respond to that as well? Absolutely. The the additional flexibility that the states would have is flexibility in deciding where to cut, because there's going to be far less federal funding, especially over time. The federal government will be able, under these plans, to keep ratcheting down their support for Medicaid. It will no longer be there as a guarantee of 
for serving the low-income populations. And, and we're not just talking about poor people who are on Medicaid, although that's incredibly important. We're talking about people with disabilities and seniors in nursing homes. That's where the bulk of Medicaid spending goes. But that funding would be ratcheted down under either a block grant structure or the alternative that they've talked about, which is capping the amount per person served. Uh, but it's going to result in far less money, and less money means a whole lot less flexibility for the states. One thing I feel like a lot of folks might not kind of connect is that Medicaid here in Wisconsin is called Badger Care. Uh, it seems like there's a disconnect between the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare, Medicaid, and Badger Care uh, in terms of what people recognize as something that's part of their or their neighbors' everyday lives. One word that I've heard that is interesting to me is rationing. Rationing health care, and they've been using it when it comes to this block grant, and they've been using it when it comes to just this bill in general. What, what, what does that mean exactly, and what would that look like here in Wisconsin? Well, it, it means that when you have a set amount of money, you no longer have the, the principle that uh, federal spending will increase as the state uh, increases its share based on need, then uh, you're, you're taking control over health care decisions away from doctors, uh, away from the states, but uh, the, the state's choice is just to figure out how to live within the fixed amount that it's going to get. And over time, as the, as the federal funding fails to, to meet the needs, states while they they could increase state taxes, uh, they're they're unlikely to do that without it drawing down more federal money. So they're going to decide to reduce eligibility. They're going to decide to cut services, perhaps to cut reimbursement rates. But they're really going to have to ration care. I don't mean to be morbid with this next question, but I'm just trying to understand the reality of this. Are people going to die? I, I'd say over time, certainly. When when you have millions of fewer people who have insurance, millions of people who then end up putting off getting the preventative care that they need, there there are deaths, additional deaths that will result. I mean, it's been shown in, in many studies that as the level of insurance goes up, the, the number of unnecessary deaths decrease or avoidable deaths decreases. And uh, I'm sure conversely that that with an increase of 14 million more uninsured people next year alone, and then 24 million in total over the next 10 years, that's going to result in a whole lot more deaths that, that could be avoided by providing adequate access to preventative health care. We only have a little bit of time left. Is there anything that you want to make sure people understand about this bill that maybe has not been discussed uh, in the media or by politicians yet? And one thing that I think a couple points that the media generally overlooked here. One is that the Congressional Budget Office projects that 7 million people who have employment-based care are going to lose that by 2026, a, a net decrease of uh, 7 million people with employment-based health care, because uh, in part, a lot of employers are going to drop their coverage. 
And one of the reasons they're going to drop their coverage is something that's really been overlooked, which is going to be a real kick in the teeth to a lot of working families. And that's that if you have any offer of employer-sponsored care, you're going to be ineligible for these new tax credits. Under the Affordable Care Act, there's an affordability test. And so if if your employer-offered care is would cost more than 9.5% of your income, you, you're still eligible for subsidies in the private insurance marketplace. But uh, under the, the new plan, there's no test like that whatsoever. Any offer of employer-based coverage is going to mean you don't get any subsidies, and uh, you're going to have unaffordable employer-based care and no subsidies to buy coverage on your own. And uh, I think that's going to be an extremely rude awakening if this bill passes. Uh, for a lot of the sort of working-class people who supported uh, President Trump. We've been speaking with John Peacock of the Wisconsin Council of Children and Families. Uh, thank you for joining us, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me.